Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. Thoughtful conversation about the news of the day addressing the existential threats to America. I'm not Bill Bennett. I'm Claude. Uh, This week's conversation is part two of Bill's conversation with Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas. Uh, Brian is the president of the American Strategy Group. Uh, He is also chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China. Joel Farkas is director of the American Strategy Group. uh, And Bill, uh, just for full disclosure, is a fellow uh, at the American Strategy Group in Washington. But first, let me tell you about my friends at PaintYourLife.com. People are back out, having fun, getting with family and friends, making new memories in this new world. So me, Sierra, and Manny, we went out to this new uh, uh, monster golf uh, place. It's like a little mini golf thing. It's indoors, glow in the dark, little monsters all over the place while you try to uh, putt around their little 18-hole place. Plus, they've got a little arcade there. Manny had a great time. Sierra and I were happy that he got a chance to burn off some of that energy. And I found that the best way to hold on to those memories is by turning them into art that lasts forever from PaintYourLife.com. When I heard about PaintYourLife.com, I thought, what a great idea. You know, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, a gift that's probably unexpected, a little outside of the box. But I figured it's got to be expensive. Well, not so. When you go to their website, PaintYourLife.com, you'll see several different pricing options. Man, lots of choices, and they fit any budget. So whether you're on a tight budget Maybe you got a little bit of wiggle room. You can find something that's truly affordable, and the quality is amazing. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've got to try PaintYourLife.com. Get professional hand-painted portraits created from any photo at a truly affordable price, or combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. User-friendly platforms makes it easy to order a custom-made, hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. Listen, I can testify. I am no tech genius, and the platform is definitely user-friendly, easy to navigate, easy to use, and you can get it done in less than five minutes. It doesn't take up a lot of your time. And not only do you act fast, PaintYourLife.com acts fast as well. You can receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. Send any picture. It could be yourself, your children, your family, a special place that means something. Maybe someone you love who isn't around anymore and you want to cherish their memory. could even be your pet. It doesn't matter. This makes the perfect birthday, anniversary, or wedding gift. Uh, it's meaningful, it's personal, and can be cherished forever. Again, my wife, Sierra, and I love the process. The platform is easy to use. It doesn't take a long time. And, you know, you do get to go back and forth with the artist. They'll send you something to review. You look at it. If there's any changes you want to make, you let them know. They'll do it. They'll send it back to you. They really work with you. And let me tell you something. I was, like, in awe when I first saw the proof that they sent back to me in the email. And my wife, Sierra, liked it. She liked it. She thought it was okay. Okay, cool. We'll get this. This will be kind of fun. Uh, But when the portrait showed up in the mail and we opened it, her jaw dropped. I mean, I don't know what she was expecting, but whatever she was expecting, this blew her expectations out the water. It exceeded it. So at paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And now, as a limited offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word BILL to 64000. That's BILL to 64000. Text BILL to 64000. Paintyourlife.com. Celebrate the moments that matter most. 
Message and data rates may apply. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com backslash terms. Again, text Bill to 64000. All right, here's part two of Bill's conversation with Joel Farkas and Brian Kennedy. Nord Stream, are we really going to cut it off? Do we have the power, the leverage to cut it off, to stop it? Uh, and, and are the Germans going to cooperate in this? Well, I, I, I would say, personally, I would think we're not going to cut it off because the Germans need, need that energy. I don't see how we're going to put enough pressure on the Germans to cut it off. Where else is the energy going to be supplied from unless they, you know, we build a whole new infrastructure of energy? I mean, these things take years to develop. And this, yeah. this pipeline is, has been developed and looks to me like the short-term option here. They could do things over the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years, but... I think I think the the handwriting's on the wall here, but I, I would trust Joel's judgment about this. Joel, yeah, how about that? If we said no to the Russians here and persuaded the Germans to, could we supply them? Could we fill in? Well, um, they do take years. Um, the comment that I would make is, are we going to do it? Of course, we're not because we haven't done it for ten years. We've allowed. I mean, we're not going to cut it off. Okay. We're not cutting it off. Um, a comment for on politics. There was a book written um about the, the Koch brothers is called dark money about how they, yeah. they hired people politically and all that kind of stuff well vladimir putin hired the chancellor of germany to run Nord Stream, so I, I don't know. Maybe that's really dark money, but that's it's not even dark. It's it's right. It's right in the open. The entire world allowed this to happen, so we're not going to cut off the Nord Stream two pipeline. Russia has won that battle. Germany has accepted it and they have pursued it what can we do there's plenty of uh, uh, countries all throughout europe that have ports we expand regasification facilities we expand our lng uh liquefaction facilities in the united states we put the, the massive amount of gas we have in the country and around the world on ships send it over and that will be a counterbalance and another not even a counterbalance but another supply of fuel to our allies and to the world to keep prices reasonable. Uh, in addition, we do not say we withdraw support of other competing pipelines because it's not Russia to Europe or to our other allies. We don't do that. We don't do those things. A lot of things, and Brian's absolutely right, these things take a long, 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 long time. But in the but we have a futures market in oil and gas, and that trades on the future. So if you announce pr uh, proposals that are going to increase supply and increase distribution capacity, that will affect the price, and that will help more capital investment. The other thing you do not do is have everyone sub you know, re uh, comply with ESG, environmental social government standards, that anything to do with fossil fuels, you can't invest capital in. You don't do that either. Now, to paraphrase what Brian has told me a million times, we're, those are things you shouldn't do, but we're not going to do the right thing with this administration. They're not going to. The energy industry in this world is not just a technical industry. It is a political industry, and politics matters with this as much as anything. Let's talk uh, more broadly about uh, Ukraine, uh, energy. Uh, we're not going to cut off the supply, despite what Biden said. But the only supply Biden cut off was from Israel and through Greece. He didn't. He's yeah. not cutting off the other supply. Uh, Brian wrote a great article called "The Common Sense of the Ukraine Crisis," and this question about Nord Stream pipeline enters into this, but it's not the whole story. What is the common sense of the Ukraine crisis? What should it be, or what, what it, would it be? 
And what kind of sense are we using now, if not common sense? We're doing um, it wrong. Well, uh, I think part of, part of what I'm having to say in, the, uh, in that piece is that there's all this talk in Washington of holding the Russians to account on the one hand, but as part of that, going to war potentially to make that a reality. Now, going to war with the Russians is not a simple thing to do. And I think most the common sense part of it is most Americans think, why would we go to war, let alone nuclear war, with Russia over Ukraine? Where is Ukraine? Why do we care about it? Why are, are they an ally? People will wonder, everyday Americans, are they an ally? I mean, are they a democracy? If they're a democracy, they're a corrupt one, right? And so we're going we're gonna to trade the future of American civilization potentially over the Ukraine. It's Wait a minute. Like let, me, let, me, let me interrupt a second. Uh, I, I know you may not believe him, but the president has said, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense has said over and over and over again, we're not sending troops into Ukraine. We're not sending troops to fight the Russians. We're not going to go to war. We're sending them there for some reason, sit on the border in Poland or whatever, but we're not going to go to war. You do, do you not believe that they believe that? Well, look, I think they're, I think I argue in that piece, I think they're bluffing. I think they're not serious. That they say they're not sending troops and then they redeploy troops. They they do a whole lot of posturing. Uh, you have, and again, I, I'm, criti- I'm critical, not merely of the administration, but for both Republicans and Democrats in Congress who start talking about the use of nuclear weapons when it comes to the Ukraine and Russia. Or, you know, this absolute that, uh, you know, the U.S. as a very senior part of NATO will not exclude Ukraine from joining NATO. As if, if, again, you know, the Russians say to us, we'll go to war if you let Ukraine into NATO. We say, no, you're not going to tell us what to do. We may let Ukraine into NATO. Okay, again, this makes no practical sense if you're an average American trying to put food on the table pay his mortgage and trying to, you know, get by. They people wonder what why are we thinking about war in Ukraine? You know, right now today, the Russians have a nuclear arsenal. They have tactical nuclear weapons. They have battlefield nuclear weapons. They have strategic nuclear weapons. And if they're going to go into Ukraine, they may use those weapons in in if there are American troops nearby, American troops can get killed. If there are American citizens nearby, they can get killed. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. No one wants that to happen, but it could happen. This is how wars start, right? Yep. And we're talking yep. about we're talking about people. You know, if you saw Putin's press conference a couple of days ago, he was he he was both serious and you know, forgive me. He seemed reasonable about this. And I don't know. I mean, he's not a good man. Let me be clear. I think he's a a dictator and a thug and a bad guy in so many ways. And I think the Russians are, you know, as they say, no damn good. But we're talking about them acting in their interests and us acting in our interest. And we don't have a national missile defense, I argue, in that article Uh, that would that would protect us from Russian ballistic missiles, would not protect our troops from Russian ballistic missiles, would not defend our allies from Russian ballistic missiles. And so we're going to risk war 
and we're not prepared for war. And so I'm arguing they're bluffing. We've been captured by political narratives in this country. Yeah. We're told that we're told we've been told for five years that Russia is the most evil place on the planet, that they got Trump into office and that that they've corrupted our political system. And they have all these, you know, all these Republican politicians are merely puppets of Vladimir Putin. When, in fact, what is the first thing the Biden administration does after we've been talking about this? They they close down the. Keystone XL pipeline, which lowers the supply of oil, which increases the price of oil, and that benefits the Russians. They allow for the Nord Stream pipeline or remove the sanctions on the companies that are building it. And as Joel just eloquently pointed out, they closed that pipeline between Israel and Greece that would have supplied energy to Europe. All of those things benefit who? Russia. Yeah. The Russians are the ones who benefit from that. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, let me add one more connection of the energy and the political uh, analysis that that Brian's describing. In the same month that the United States withdrew support of that pipeline, the East Med pipeline, they announced, our country announced that we are expanding our military bases in Greece, of all places. So this is exactly what Brian is saying about how wars start and the lack of thoughtfulness of things that go on early on, instead of working on a pipeline, in, not even working, but just shutting it down, withdrawing support, youth simultaneously are now going to add a lot of military power in that part of the world, which is, these are not hypotheticals. These are things that happen when people make decisions like this. And who do we have over there? We have the Middle East. We have, we have, um, we have Turkey. We have, <laughs> I know it's small, but it's uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan. There's, 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 there's hot spots everywhere. And who owns the two largest ports in Greece, Athens and the, and the northern one, which I can never pronounce? There's two countries that own them, China and Russia. Yeah. So what is our response? Yeah. Over the last decade, when the Obama administration let that happen, our response is shut down a pipeline and then go expand military bases in Greece. Yeah. I can't think of anything more idiotic than yeah. that progression of decisions. Let's talk, because Brian, in your piece, Common Sense of the Ukraine Crisis, you raise this thing, which is, I don't think I've heard anybody in this administration talk about with any worry or concern, this new pact or treaty or understanding agreement between what Joel was just describing, Russia and China. What is it? What is that portent? Well, the... One thing I say in the article is, is one, I, I describe the fact that that makes things, we should be concerned about this agreement. Uh, it's, a, it's one of these agreements that talks about a strategic bilateral relationship sure, and sure. Par- partnership, and there's a lot of lies and deception in it. Uh, it's not so much what they say, it's the fact that they've said it. Yeah. The, Ru- the Russians and the Chinese are, are ideological soulmates. They're competitors. They don't trust one another. Think of them more like, you know, mafia families. And, and they, they kind of organize themselves that way and think that way. And so like many mafia families, they could... They could be allies at times and enemies at times. Right now, they look at a, at another family, let's put it that way, the United States, and they look at the Biden crime family and they think, here's a guy who just doesn't know what he's doing. How do we take advantage? We got this guy elected no. to, to, to uh, I won't even say to exaggerate. Um, and how do we take advantage of Joe Biden and the Americans right now and the fact that they're out of sorts? Well, they, you know, Putin thinks about taking Ukraine the Chinese think about perhaps taking Taiwan 
or at least expanding their reach throughout the world through their Belt and Road Initiative. They just think in a common, again, in a common sense way, how do we take advantage? We're going to do what's good for Russia. We're going to do what's good for China. America doesn't seem to know what it's doing. Let's, let's get this thing done. And I think what they were signaling with that agreement was America, if Russia goes into Ukraine, China has their back. We've got yeah. the Russians back. And if we, China, go into Taiwan, the Russians are going to have our back. And so you, America, good luck. And in the face of that, you know, both of those are nuclear superpowers. We have built down our military, even in the year of Joe Biden. We have scaled back everything. Uh, we're not serious about our own national defense. We're not serious about having strategic, you know, ballistic missile defense of the kind that would deter the Russians and the Chinese. And so the Chinese and the Russians think, well, look, if America's not serious about defending themselves, why would they be serious about defending Ukraine or Taiwan or anywhere? And, I mean, this is and, Joe. This is this is Joe Biden and the Democrats. In Ukraine, Russia is supplying Europe and Germany by a gas pipeline. In Greece, they're shutting down a gas pipeline and, and owning the ports to supply it by LNG. So if anyone doesn't believe that LNG is a viable alternative, they're just not looking at what our competitors are doing. They, they absolutely, it's just, it's just situational. So the best way to have pricing power, which our oligarchs like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, you'd like to say pricing power, is to shut down your competition and dominate the, the one part of the industry. In one part of the world, they dominate LNG. The other part of the world, the distribution of LNG, the other part, they dominate uh, pipelines. How do they do it? They do it by political will and force. Would it have been more sensible when the Ukraine business started with the Russians, you know, putting up a lot of troops and, and material at the border? If the president was asked what's your response, it would have been made more sense. I'm just trying to see if I have this right by your point of view in the article to say, our response is we're going to build up our military and we're going to build that national defense system, uh, that missile defense system. That would make more sense. I, I think the I, I think the United States would say, uh, yeah, if, if I, I mean, look, if, when Trump was president, this didn't happen. Right. The Russians didn't think they could take advantage. So it didn't happen. And what was Trump all about? Now, I say this not to not to you know defend Trump, but he was all about energy independence and building a space force. That would have been strategically significant, strategically decisive when it came to national missile defense and defending the United States. If the Russians were angling about, you know, the Ukraine, Biden should have announced reopening the XL pipeline, right? Doing everything he could to make sure that American oil production would become independent again of the world. And he should have announced an acceleration of our space force and the building of a national missile defense that would have, again, been the kind of signal that whatever you guys are going to do, we may or may not be able to stop. But I guarantee you, we America, we're going to be stronger. This is going to make us richer and you poorer. If you want to go do that, go ahead and do that. But you've just changed the strategic calculation that we're going to operate under. The thing about the Russian, the thing about you know, but the Russians and the Chinese, they know the Biden administration intellectually cannot help themselves. That they're going to do all the wrong things because that ideologically is where their you know framework is. Joe Biden has opposed missile defense for forty years, and so he's not going to change that now. And so he's going to he's going to bluff and he's going to be you know belligerent. But at the end of the day, he's going to do the bidding of a globalist mindset witness 
you know, everything Joel's described about, about the energy situation, which is for Russia, a very, very important thing. Bill, Russia, Russia's GDP is less than the GDP of Texas. And it's almost entirely dependent on energy production. What Brian just said is it's a two-pronged approach, missile defense and produce things here in addition, in, in particular energy to reduce the price of energy by 50%. What does that do when you do that? One is you defend your country. Number two is you have starved your opposition of all the money that they need to wage these wars around the world. And when we do it, in the, in the United States to reduce that energy cost, we have handed over that those trillions of dollars of savings to our middle class population, heating, transportation, manufacturing costs, food costs. All of that requires energy to produce. We have transferred trillions of dollars into the hands of our population. Our population in the United States is a free population, the freest in the history of the world, as you've repeated and written books on the last best hope on earth. And that's what happens when you do what Brian just said, and then you simultaneously defend yourself. Then you don't have to wage wars all over the world because these bad thugs, these tyrants, they're not going to be able to do it. Okay. Because we have the list right. We have the list complete. That is what should have happened. I have written down, build the military, continue the military buildup that Trump started, get missile defense going and up to speed uh, so we can defend ourselves from Russian and Chinese missiles, start serious energy production again in this country, reinstate the XL pipeline. What else? Anything else? I think it's getting your rhetoric right. You know, part, part of this, I mean, if you're Joe Biden or any American president, Look, Reagan, who you worked for, Bill, believed in peace through strength. Yeah. Right now, are we strong? We've made ourselves economically poorer through these energy policies, and we're scaling back our military, which has been the deterrent to Russia and China from being militarily adventurous. So we've done the exact opposite of peace through strength. That's on the one hand. And so you don't even need to say anything about that. You just need to fix it the way you just described. And then there's, there's, and I would say this for, for the American people, we, we need a president who's willing to speak softly and carry a big stick. And that's part of the peace through strength approach. If you're strong, you don't need to say much yeah. because the status of your country speaks for itself. Energy independence, the way Trump had it, that spoke for itself. The building of a space force, that spoke for itself. And by the way, if I'm Russia and China, do I want Donald Trump as president? No. They and the rest of the globalist project want to do everything they can to, to hurt, you know, wanted to hurt Trump and hurt anybody who wants to stand up for America first, whether it's Trump or Ron DeSantis or, or anybody else. And so part of, the, part of this is an intellectual battle, too. Can we find leaders in this country who are willing to defend America and America? Well, there, well, there are some. You know, Brian, thank you. for. I know you believe that. And I love hearing when you say that. And, and I don't want to gloss over what you just said, because this is a country. This is, this is the greatest country in the history of the world. I am an American citizen, and I'm proud of it. I want to appeal to my Jewish friends in, in, in the United States. There's fewer than 18 million of us in the world of 7 billion people. Most of them live in two places. 80-some percent live in two places, Israel and the United States. To my Jewish friends and my colleagues, we need to stop thinking about 
global acceptance. There's only, the world has spoken. There's only two places for us in this world today. And the United States is the strongest, safest, most respectable defender of liberty in the history of the world. And you need to stop listening to all the other countries in the world who want to foist their ideology on your beliefs. Behind the United States and Israel, UK, France, and, and, and Canada have about a million and a half. The rest of the 180 or so countries, there aren't any. Yeah. We have the finest place that we can live in the history of our culture and embrace all the people in the United States that defend liberty. You need to stop thinking that all these other villains out there are on your side. They're not. Most of the villains that are attacking whatever it is you think, there's a billion of them each on each group. There's a billion of them in the world. The United States is the finest country and it needs, we need to repeat it over and over again. We need to embrace the people in the, this country that defend this liberty. All right. Eloquent appeal to the Jewish community. and uh, We thank you for it. We talked about mistakes, not the hand of God or Adam Smith's invisible hand, but the hand of Biden and Democrats and some Republicans, too. Many Republicans getting it wrong. We've talked for the audience's sake and my sake uh, about what we should do to get it right. Where are the American people? Are, are you are we at the bottom now of the bungee and we start coming back up? Uh, it, it seems to me that if you're not in favor of what Biden's doing, you got to take some heart from the American people's reaction to him. Uh, are the, are, is the capacity for American self-renewal at work or the antibodies kicking in or the juices starting to, to go in the right direction? Are the American people going to correct uh, this this mistake, this horrible year of 2021? I can't speak to the politics of it. I can speak to what the American people are doing economically. Um, the largest purchase they'll ever make in their life is a home. Most most people in the world, 80, 90 percent of the new home purchases are from people who would be c categorized as minorities, um, black, Hispanic, Asian, others. Um, they are paying lower monthly mortgages than they'd be paying if they were renting in almost any major city in the United States. They are getting married. They are having families. They are sending their kids to school. They are participating in their uh, places of worship. And the other thing that they are doing is they don't want to live in a high-rise building in an unsafe, unhealthy, expensive city. They are part of a community where they get to live next to their, their kids and the parents live next to each other. The grandparents live next to the family. Grandparents don't want to retire. They want to participate in the community. And that's what they do. And you have the classic, beautiful combination of a whole family unit buying something. We see it all the time, creating trillions of dollars of wealth for people who would never see it. They don't have, you know, the, the idea that you have a 401k and you invest in the stock market is not how most Americans view their future. They make better returns by having generational wealth from the real estate and the home and their family. This is the decisions being made right now by 200 million Americans. And I hope you're, encu you're encouraged by you're encouraged by that clearly. Right. I am very encouraged. I, we, we have almost no almost every residential market in the country, there's almost no supply of a home. There's no supply. Nobody's clamoring for public housing to be built. 
No one wants that. No one's clamoring for tiny homes to be built in, uh, you know, to house, uh, uh, to put in, in, in urban in urban areas. They are clamoring. People, Americans are clamoring for a place where they can have an ownership stake in this country because they believe in it. If you're going to buy a home and you own something here and you're going to have a family and you're going to raise kids and grandkids for the next decades, you believe in this country. That is, that is, they've already voted. They believe in this country if they're going to do those two things. Joel just said, well, you know, I can't talk to the politics of this, but I can talk about what people are doing. Pretty profound statement and very encouraging, it would seem to me. If people are doing that and they vote their interests and the interests of their children, then we can be encouraged about the capacity for self-renewal. You can talk to the politics of this more explicitly, given what Joel has just said. Are you encouraged? Do you think we've hit the bottom of the bungee? Are we coming back? You see signs that America is reacting in the right way? Anybody's are uh, kicking in? Uh, yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I love what Joel had to say, because I, I think that was partly an ex- a, a reflection of the economic forces that the Trump administration had unleashed. And that kind, the kind of economic optimism, the kind of deregulation we saw in the Trump administration, the America first policies, believing in the American worker and the American family. When you, when you start going in that direction, people want to have the families Joel talked about, and they want to buy the home, and they want to do all the things that are free people uh, enjoy doing. And, you know, the American way of life is still alive and well. And the Biden administration can do a whole bunch of things to destroy it. But the American people are just not going to let that happen. You know, we've talked about it before on this show. I think the election was stolen. I think that the the pro-America, America first family movement is two thirds of the country. I think we're the political majority in this country. You see Blacks and Hispanics coming the way of Republican. They don't even, the Republican Party doesn't even deserve more, you know, Blacks and Hispanics, but they're coming that way anyway, I think because Donald Trump had that optimism and saw a future where it really is not about, you know, the color of your skin, but the content of your character and how hard you're willing to work. And so all those things are pointing in the right direction. If we have free and fair elections this November, I think we're going to get you know, I think Republicans, not we, but Republicans are going to win in the House and the Senate. That's going to be a big check on what Joe Biden and his administration are doing. If we have free and fair elections in 2024, I think we're going to elect a pro-America first president who is going to fix a lot of the things that are wrong with this country. And, and it would be wrong not to mention right now the fact that you have those Canadian truckers up there. Yep. Yeah. And in Ottawa and that that movement is spreading throughout the United States, throughout Europe. They're in Vienna. They're in Paris. Uh, I mean, this is a this is a movement that's growing. The freedom movement is growing around the world. You know that and those Canadians up there, the Canadian truckers, they've captured the imagination of people that everyday people Hardworking people can stand up for themselves and defend the idea of freedom. Apparently, there's going to be in the United States a freedom convoy starting in March, yeah. March fourth, yeah. starting yeah. in Coachella here in Southern California and moving its way to Washington D.C. I think the best 
years of America are ahead if we can capture the politics correctly and talk to the American people as citizens again. Last comment, Joel. Thank you. Um, Thank you. On the politics, I, I, uh, I, I believe the Republican Party is going to have quite a year. I implore the Republican elected officials, existing and newly elected, please look to see who your constituents are and pay attention to them this time. Mm-hmm. A trucker in the United States, if you're working for any either long haul or short or intermediate term, intermediate uh, distance area, you are going to make more 80,000 to a hundred to 120,000 a year with bonuses and benefits. And you're going to own a home. If you own your own rig and you contract it out, you're going to make 150 to $350,000 a year. So when people look at truckers putting their trucks on streets, whether it's in Canada or around the world, these are people that are entrepreneurs. They are very successful. They make a very good living and they raise a very good family. And this is an industry which is so ignored, but so in, so vital and important with some of the finest you know, people who love liberty in the world behind it. And so, Brian, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, it is a movement, but it's also a group of people who have had these beliefs for decades. Please, Republican Party, when hopefully you have some success, don't ignore what, why you got it. We were, uh, first few years of Morning in America, which was my radio show, we were carried by Sirius XM. You remember that, Claude, right? Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of truckers. And they'd call in from the road. You know, they were up early. And at the end of each call from the trucker, we said, let's hear a little horn. And there's some there's some tape somewhere of all these truckers and their comments <laughs> and, and all these horns uh, across America. It's encouraging. Brian, you've mentioned Donald Trump a dozen times. I don't want to reduce our this high-minded conversation you guys have led to, you know, just a horse race. But I'm curious. I mean, I know you were a, a surrogate speaker for Donald Trump, supported him as, as I did. Does it need to be Trump? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, I don't know if it needs to be Trump. I think it will be Trump. Do you? Yeah. I, I, I well, think I, there I, are I, other I, people, though, who would, who would do the right policies, don't you think? Oh, I, I think the, the greatest governor in America, maybe one of the greatest governors in American history is Ron DeSantis. Yeah. yeah and I yeah. think he is just super. He, he impresses me every single day with his policies, his determination, his fearlessness. And so there's, there's a lot right there. Uh, if it's, if it's not president Trump, I, I think it, you know, it could easily be Ron DeSantis. Uh, and as I say, DeSantis is great. I just think, I think, the American people, forget what I may want, I think the American people want Donald Trump. I think there is a, you know, just in the polling, a substantial number of people yeah. believe the election was stolen, yeah. that it was rightly won by Donald Trump, and that his policies were the right ones. And they're, they're not people who study politics the way we do. These are just people who are out living their lives. And Americans have a real passion for fairness. And those are the people who think the election was stolen and they'll want if Trump wants to run again, they'll think it was it's his it's his due that he gets to run again. And I think they'll vote for him again. And I think he'll win. You've studied the last election pretty closely based on that. I know your view of it, but do you have any more confidence in the next election, 22 or the one after in 24? I do. I do. And partly because uh, one of the things that that. American citizens who just 
you know, looked at what happened. What they've done is they've become committee men for the Republican Party around the country. That number is way up. Uh, poll watchers, observers, yeah. election yeah. officials, you know, that number is going up. Uh, I'm working with a group of folks around the country who are running for secretary of state to make sure there's fair elections. Now they have mm-hmm. to get elected in 2022. And so mm-hmm. some will and some won't. But what we want are fair elections and as yeah. much transparency as possible. Right. Uh, I mean, this is this is I mean, our, our system, unfortunately, has become very opaque. Yeah. And the use of the ubiquitous use of mail and balloting. It's yeah, not well, a health, healthy thing in our politics. Right. We can hope that the opacity here of the last election, you know, a lot of this was, you know, COVID, let's do this, let's go. We got very loose, extremely loose. I, I get sense, I don't want to be delusioned here, delusional, but the things are tightening up and people are making efforts to tighten it up. And I certainly hope that's the case. Uh, but I'm very glad to hear that you think you, you have more grounds for confidence in the next round than, than a the lot last. of a, a lot of work needs to be done. Yeah, and, sure. For, and for and forgive me for for in case we've you know talked about this before, but I think the Yunkin race in Virginia demonstrated yeah. that with enough poll watchers, yeah. enough lawyers, and enough scrutiny, you can have a fair election. And when that happened. Youngkin, a Republican, got elected in Virginia against a longtime, you know, Democrat. You bet. It's pretty blue state, purple blue. You guys know I did some work with Youngkin and I'm right, continuing right. to because yeah. I have been very polite in this conversation. But I'll tell you guys, smart as you are, we don't get this right in the high schools and colleges. We're not going to get it right. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you know, we got to, you know, kids coming out of high school and that's just coming out of college and coming out of high school. Your heads are filled with cotton hay and rags, quote my fair lady. So you guys will allow me that, right? Cotton hay and rags would be better than what they're actually getting. You're right. Uh, you're right. I, I, you're right. I, 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 but but let's be clear, Bill. If we don't get our politics right today, we're not going to get our education right. No, you're right. Exactly so, so, right. So, 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 so as you well know, I mean, this is the reason you're so active in these areas. You have to get the politics right so that of we course. can fix our educational system. You don't get Youngkin elected. Mm-hmm. You don't get the pop. You don't get the educational system uh, fixed in the state of Virginia, which it, you know he's only starting right now. Yeah, but I mean the Loudoun County thing is not just Loudoun County. And that's that's a that's a combination of education reform and political yeah, yeah. reform. Yeah, yeah. I, I spent years when people would ask me, you know, hey, you're a former second vet. How do we improve? I'd say run for the school board. Right. Yeah. People would laugh and ignore me. Well, you know, my joke was you should run for school board because if you're a Catholic and you believe in purgatory, if you're on the school board, you will have already spent your time. <laughs> and you'll go, you know, you'll go right to heaven because it's a hellish job if you take it seriously. Yeah. But I do think I was right. And now we see the importance of things like school boards, where in a lot of the country, most of the country, uh, you know, the school board policy is the policy of the teachers unions. So anyway, OK, to both what you and Brian were just saying about getting people getting the politics right. J.A. Adante was on ESPN around the horn. He's a journalism professor at Northwestern University. Yeah. And he made some idiotic comments about the Olympics comparing our voting rights issues in the United States with Chinese human harvest. Uyghurs. Uyghurs. Yeah. And and, and imprisonment. Now, 
the only good thing about J.A. Adante saying something like that is it's so patently absurd. The 200 plus million Americans, me and Brian and you talk about, watch ESPN more than they watch um, some of these other idiotic uh, cable news shows like MSNBC and NBC, which is, I know, maybe network, but probably cable, really. Very few people are watching the Olympics. It was it's the, the ratings are way, way down. That's another symptom of yeah. what people are ignoring. But, yeah. but the, the politics of this are when people <laughs> people realize how silly that is to compare this phrase of voting, quote, quote, unquote, voting rights, which is in and of itself. A ridiculous phrase, but to what the Chinese do and other people in this in this world do, very normal, regular, intelligent, maybe not college educated, but people in this country know that's that's a guy like him uh, saying something like that is idiotic, and he's not going to get fired from either Northwestern or ESPN, but no one's going to care because it's, yeah, well, it's silly. But a lot of the kids would agree with him. Sorry, but a lot of the kids would agree with him. You know, I was talking to the governor, the go- governor of Alaska the other day. He said, I'm a former classroom teacher. He said, I haven't been to a classroom in 15 years. So I went back and, you know, the last time I talked to a group of students, they said, what do you think we should study? And what do you think where the jobs are? And, you know, what, you know, what, what, what kind of skills should we prepare? He said, all I got was, you know, why are you treating the natives so bad? Look at the tundra and look at the Arctic ice cap. And he said, what the hell is going on? Secretary, I said, well, I encouraged him to read this book, Submission. Have I mentioned that to you guys before? It's this book by uh, by a Frenchman, and it's about uh, radical Islamists taking over France. It's, it's a novel. But um, they start their takeover. I'll, I'll cut it short, very short. They start their takeover not by taking over the Defense Department or the State Department. They start their takeover by taking over the Ministry of Education. You know, turn their heads the wrong way, and that's, you know, that's, that's ball game. When I hear these guys and I'm sitting there and I say, the American people don't agree with you, check out the views of the next generation in, a, in, in polls about capitalism and socialism. And if they're to be believed, this is a really this is this is this is where the action is. At least that's how I justify my existence other than this podcast. <laughs> well, one last comment on that. I'm not going to dispute anything you said because what you said is true. That's that's what polls say, and that's what kids believe. But I also have am able to witness that when spoken to, because most of the same kids who believe those things, when spoken to about what is it that you really yeah. truly want to do, yeah. Yeah. their answer is very different. Yeah. And now, now what they're not getting is, unfortunately, you have to do it one person at a time, <laughs> which is very difficult. It's time consuming. There's hundreds of millions of people to talk to. But it, they're easily, easily convinced and swayed when given a, <laughs> a, a place to go. No, you're absolutely right. None of us are going to stop trying because we're not going to allow this other stuff to, to, to take hold. So when I was at Boston University, it was a lot of huge demonstrations. This was late 60s, early 70s. We were a crowd of about 300 people standing in front of the president's office. I was assistant to the president. I went out and I was his point man for riots and stuff. And um, students were screaming, you know, and, you know, go to hell and hey, hey, ho, ho, John Silver's got to go and all this stuff. And then one of the leaders of the group stepped forward and uh, I was standing next to this very well-known lawyer in, from Boston in a, in a very well-known firm, let's call it Johnson & Smith. And you know, when the students stepped forward, we 
both kind of stiffened up, wondering if it could be a physical attack. And after screaming all these uh, curse words at us, he came up to the lawyer and said, Harold, or Mr. 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 Uh, Haskins, um, I've got an application for an internship at Johnson & Smith. I wonder if you could take a look at it. Wrote down his name, stepped back in the crowd and started cursing at us. <laughs> you know, the, the, dis- the disconnect between... You know what he'd been taught to say, and what he wanted to do in his life. You know, yeah. And I so, ran in. I ran into this kid ten years later in New York, and he said, "Dean Bennett, you remember me?" And I said, "No," because he'd cleaned himself up. He was a coat and tie, haircut. He said, "I am so and so. I led that demonstration." I said, "Yeah, great. What are you doing now?" He said, "I'm a broker. I'm a, I'm a stockbroker." <laughs> anyway, so, okay. No, so, Bill, my story. Can, can I just say one more story? Yeah, I, yeah. I was talking to another another uh, young person in, in Aspen a week or 10 days ago who was telling me, this young girl was telling me all these things that she was doing, you know, businesses and stuff, and doing pretty well. Had all these aspirations and succeeding. And, and then she said, you know, I'm thinking of maybe leaving here, moving to the Pacific Northwest. I said, why? Well, with climate change, uh, it's the only place I can think of that I'll be safe, the weather will be okay, and on and on and on. <laughs> and I'm, I'm shortening this story a, a lot. I said, you know, when you were talking about all the things that you want to do, you had this energy, this excitement. When you start talking about moving up there, you sound, you know, d- d- yeah, kind grim. of despondent, depressed. Grim. And you know what? To her credit, she said, you know, you're right. I don't yeah. want to live that way. Yeah, good. You guys are you're hanging out with the wrong people. I only hang out with people who, who think like me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and in my world, no one's woke. And they all love America, and they yeah. think the Canadian truckers are heroes. That's why right. you sound so happy, Brian. I know, I know. Hang out, hang out with better people. Okay, maybe that's the lesson. Podcasts have changed the way we get our news, entertainment, politics, everything. Uh-huh. They've rewritten the script. Uh, somebody said to me this morning, "I don't read op-eds, but I do listen to podcasts." Mm-hmm. We hope you listen to this one. Well, there's another exciting development that's rewritten the script, too, and that's called Masterworks. Okay. Masterworks enables you to diversify your portfolio. This is for investors. Mm -hmm. And potentially protect it from market volatility. And you do so by investing in contemporary art with Masterworks. Ah, okay. Now, I'm not up on contemporary art, but boy, it's hot. Mm -hmm. And people love it. They're the fintech startup shaking up the alternative investing landscape. It lets you build a portfolio of fine art without spending millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Invest in Picasso, Warhol. Uh, invest in paintings by iconic artists like these with Masterworks. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Masterworks has an industry-leading research team, and it's created the first and only platform where anybody can buy and trade shares of paintings, giving you the same access enjoyed by millionaires and billionaires for generations. See, now you're talking my language, because I'm not a big art guy. Like, I sit there and I look at it, I don't get it. But I'm a money person. Give it a try. Our listeners get priority access to their latest offerings at masterworks.art slash bill. Okay. Masterworks.art slash bill. Join a new generation of investors. This is a new deal, boy. This is the, the modern world. Join that new generation of investors at masterworks.art slash bill. And folks, see important disclaimers at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Masterworks, give it a look. All right, that's it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter. That Twitter handle is William J. Bennett. You can also like him on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. 
We get a chance to read your emails from time to time uh, on the show. We want to hear from you. Just email BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and friends, and we'll catch you up next week.